Mark chapter 10. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 10. It's a long passage starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 12. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. If you join me and let's ask God to help us with this passage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray on the merits of Jesus by the Spirit, and we need help. We trust that your word is good and true. We pray that your Spirit would apply it to our lives and bring comfort and conviction and growth and change and healing. Lord, we pray you would bring healing today. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. may be seated. Why is it that divorce is so hard? Why does, why does the hurt go to parents, to children, goes up, it goes down? Why does the hurt and the stigma and the cloud seem to hang so long over your head if you go through a divorce. When a loved one, when a loved one dies of, of a prolonged illness, or, or even if a loved one dies of some tragedy, the tragedy happens, the church gathers around, you have a funeral, you go to the burial, the burial's over, people check on you. And although it might feel like it's impossible to recover, Over the course of time, you just sort of, eventually, the the pain dulls and you're able to move on even if you've got a limp. That's when somebody dies. You're able to do that. But divorce, why does it feel like it lingers? Maybe because there's no funeral. Maybe because when people hear, they don't run to you. Everybody gathers around. Maybe it's uh, hard to get over because the offending party is still alive. 
especially now with social media, you see everything. Could be, uh, it could be the pain is so bad because you feel a sense of, of, uh, of rejection. If you're in a Christian environment, you might even feel the sense of shame or, or uh, have a scarlet letter syndrome. Why? Why does this particular breakup have such lasting effects for us? Unexpectedly, I think Jesus deals with some of these questions in our passage. Let's back up and get some uh, context in chapter 10. In chapter 10, we find Jesus on the road again. His, uh, his ministry in Galilee and Capernaum is coming to a close. And now Jesus is, is turning his attention, going toward Jerusalem. There at Jerusalem, let me tell you why it's important. At Jerusalem, he will complete his purpose of redemption. He'll go to the cross at Calvary. He'll go to the cross. But before he does that, Mark tells us of something that he taught about marriage. And by association, he taught about divorce. Now, whether you are single or married or divorced or widowed or divorced and remarried, this lesson here from Jesus is given to us to strengthen your heart, to soothe your mind, so that you as a son or a daughter of God in Christ might flourish, so that you might flourish as a man or a woman. Because the deeper lesson underneath the lesson on marriage and divorce, the deeper lesson is about your relationship to God through Christ, because, I'll, uh, I'll make this the theme, because at the heart of marriage is the gospel. At the heart of marriage is the gospel. So we need to be careful. In fact, I'm going to make that little phrase the uh, first phrase of every point I have. I'll start with the first one. Number one, you want to be careful be careful how you rationalize. How you use the phrase, what about? How, how you use that to manipulate what you're hoping the desired outcome will be in your favor. I'm sure, I get that. We join the story in verse 1. Give you a little comment as we go. In verse 1, he left there. That's Galilee, Capernaum. And he's in progress. Verse 1, he goes to a place called Perea. It's on the other side of the Jordan. It's interesting where he went. Um, it plays into the context of the story because where he went is where John the Baptist had been. And it's where Herod Antipas lived and ruled. Now, you remember what happened with John the Baptist and Herod? Remember John the Baptist is preaching. He gets on the topic of marriage and Herod's marriage. Herod had taken his brother's wife, talk about a family scandal, taken his brother's wife and married her. And John the Baptist is saying, that's unlawful. You shouldn't have done that. And Herod and his new wife, she doesn't like that preacher talking to her like that. So they have John the Baptist put in jail, and his stepdaughter does a little dance for him. He says, what do you want? And she says, I want John the Baptist's head. 
because he was so ugly to my mom. So Herod has John the Baptist's head cut off. That's where Jesus has gone to. It's in that context he's teaching. Now, there are Pharisees that live there. They know what's happened. It just happened a couple of years ago. They know what's happened. So verse 2 tells us the Pharisees came up and they asked him a question. But it's not a sincere question, is it? Verse 2. The Pharisees came up and in order to trap him or test him, they asked him, Is it lawful? Because you know what Herod did. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Matthew tells us when, he, when they asked, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Not only was there pressure from the government, you got Herod who's doing all these terrible things. It'll get back to him if Jesus says this. You also have in that day and time um, in the Jewish belief system, you have rabbis that taught. You have a conservative school of rabbis and you have a liberal, theologically liberal school of rabbis. The Shimei, a guy named Shimei, is a conservative. He said, only way to get a divorce is through adultery, with Judaism, conservative. There was a more liberal man named Hillel, H-I-L-L-I-E-L, you can look it up if you like, and he taught, and it's written down, that, that a man could divorce his wife for any reason, when he was displeased with her for any reason. In fact, they wrote it out, some of the reasons. If, if, she, if she cooked supper and burn it, this is, wrote, this is written down. She cooked supper and burn it, he could divorce her. Uh, which is terrible because a, a woman without a, a home is unprotected. If she were walking down the road and came to the market and uh, her robe was not long enough and her ankle happened to show, and the husband thought, you know what, she's showing too much skin. He could divorce her. All those kind of laws that pertain. And so they talked to Jesus in front of everybody. What do you think? They're baiting him. They're hoping that he will say something and it gets back to Herod. They're hoping he will say something and it will paint him into a corner as a fundamentalist, judgmental hardliner. Verse 3, instead Jesus does something. Verse 3, notice what he says to the Pharisees. <clears throat> Jesus says, what did, I mean, your rabbis, or at least your Pharisees, you're following these rabbis, what did Moses, you believe the Torah, what did Moses command you? It, let me pause here and say, let us make sure that we always, let's follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. Always take the Bible as our authority. This, we get this, this is not a man-made doctrine. This is Jesus. So Jesus points them to Moses, and they flip through the back of their Bible. They don't go where Jesus is going to go. Verse 4, what they do is they quote something that is favorable to them, and they're going to misquote it. Verse 4, this is what they say. <clears throat> they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, what they've quoted is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. You can go look it up later if you'd like to. And in that context, Moses had given permission by God is doing this. 
and said that if a man is displeased with the woman that he's married, he has to write a certificate of divorce. This will prove that she was married, that she's not a prostitute wandering the street. He gives that to her, and then she is dismissed, and then she can rightly marry another person. But if that new person she marries dies, she is not to go back to that original husband. That's what Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Instead, these Pharisees have brought it forward to suit their own desires, you see. So they twist it up, make the Bible say something it never intended, to, to take the Bible and bend it to twist the spirit of the day. I mean, it's true. The law did allow divorce and remarriage. That's Deuteronomy 24. The law did allow that. That is a concession, though, and not a command. So in verse 5, join me there in verse 5, Jesus tells us why these laws were written. Notice what he says. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Why did Moses write this? It was a concession. Because of original sin, it was a concession because you are bent towards sin and God is giving protection to those you are going to sin against, which would be the wife in this moment. And what the law did was the law regulated divorce to limit the damage to the woman. Verse 5, he brings up something called original sin. Your, your heart is hard. This law, what did it do? couple of things. It, rest it restrained evil. That's what the law does. So the law of God points us to the holiness of God. It also reminds us of our own sin, but it also is used to restrain evil and to protect victims. A friend of mine named H.B. Charles, a great preacher. Love to hear him preach. H.B. Charles uh, starts slow and he builds and it's like a, like a freight train. You don't want to have a freight train in a drag race, but once it gets going, you can't stop it. And H.B., when he looked at this passage, he said, you know, divorce is, divorce is the lesser of two evils, but the lesser of two evils is still evil. As God say in Malachi chapter 2, God hates divorce. God is never pleased. I mean, even when he permits it, and it's true, you can find places where it is permitted. And this law was given in Deuteronomy 24 that the Pharisees are misusing. It was, it was given to restrain evil. It was given to protect women. It was given to provide justice. Listen, brothers and sisters, when you look into the perfect, when you look into the perfect word of God, be careful how you rationalize. Be careful how you manipulate or cut corner or be careful. Be careful how you might, maybe even without knowing, twist or ignore what God has said. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Let's go further into the passage. Let me give something else to be careful about. Number two, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who it is you are listening to. Look what Jesus does when he starts to talk about marriage in verse 6. Now, you can take a look at verse 6. And you will see that there is a lot to notice in verse 6. When you read verse 6, what you're going to see, 
is what does Jesus think about things? So you're going to see Jesus and his view of creation. When you look at verse 6, you're going to see Jesus and his view of Scripture. How does he use Scripture? You're going to see Jesus and his view of gender, maleness, and femaleness. Let me read verse 6 and see if I can point it out. Jesus speaks and says, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. What does Jesus do here? Jesus takes creation. He affirms the historicity of creation. Jesus, in this passage, denies evolution. And he says, there is a creator who made an original man and an original woman. He is saying in this verse that Adam and Eve were real people. One thing he does is he affirms what the Bible says about creation. Speaking of the Bible, in verse 6, Jesus affirms the authority and the reliability of Scripture. We do what Jesus, he's our example, what does he do with the Bible? When he is asked a question, he uses an authoritative word. That authoritative word is found in Genesis 1 and 2. That's what he's going to quote from. So what Jesus does, he, what I'm saying to you is this, the doctrine of the infallibility of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture is not a man-made doctrine. This is where we get it from Jesus. And Jesus, when he is explaining a problem or defending a truth, he gives the Bible as the example. He is affirming here the authority and the reliability of Scripture. He quotes from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in this passage. Let me just pause and say, do not base your theology on what you're seeing on TikTok. When you, when you flip through, do not base the truth of the world on TikTok or Instagram, wherever it is you look. So he affirms historicity of creation. He affirms the Bible. Jesus does in verse 6. Let me give you a third thing he affirms in verse 6. In verse 6, you see it already that Jesus has affirmed the goodness of gender. J Jesus has affirmed in verse 6 the goodness of maleness, being a man, and femaleness, being a woman. Jesus has affirmed the binary nature of human beings. And, and when you read that, I mean, a light should go on to tell you the entire transgender movement that has swept the nation is a dystopian reversal of God's good creation of a man and a woman. Now you may say, well, that's a legalistic. We take Jesus. I'm quoting to you what Jesus has said on the authority of the Bible from Genesis. But let's take being a Christian out of it. You, you don't have to be a Christian to be watching ESPN and a women's swimming event. And when it's over, you see who the winner is. And it is a man in a women's swimsuit. And they stand up for the picture, and the man is a foot taller than the other competitors. You, you don't have to be a Christian to see there's something that's, that's not right. 
Or for those of you that like MMA, I don't, I don't watch it, it's too brutal for me, but, but MMA, for, for, a, for a man to dress, present himself as a woman, and then to get in a ring with a woman and, and beat her to a pulp and call that sport, a society that applauds that cannot last long. doesn't take a Christian to realize that. You don't have to be a Christian to see that. You don't have to be a Christian even to know boys don't hit girls. We get that from creation. And see, that's what Jesus has done. He takes, you're asking questions about marriage and divorce. Let me take you all the way back. Why this, why marriage should last. I'm going to take you all the way back to creation, to the creation of a man and a woman. Look, this is why we, um, this is why Christians can't in good conscience uh, celebrate same-sex marriage, or I should say so-called same-sex marriage. We can't affirm that. Because according to God's word, according to God's word, the affirmation of Jesus, there is no such thing. That marriage is not just a Christian invention. Jesus goes pre-Christianity and takes us all the way back to creation. That marriage is a creation ordinance that is given to all humanity. That God designed the marriage between a man and a woman. The union between two different but complementary sexes to be the foundation of society. Now look, you can change all the laws you want, but you can't change divine order. So be careful. When you start to rationalize, you see where it ends up. Be careful how you rationalize what you'll take, what you do with the Bible. Jesus himself, in this passage, Jesus himself reaches back, all the way back to Adam and Eve. He affirms God's word and he presents marriage as created by God between a man and a woman. Be careful who you listen to. Let me give you a third thing to consider in verses 7 and 8. It picks up a little bit. Number three, be careful. Be careful where your loyalties lie, where your loyalty lies. Be careful. When you read verse 7, you have Jesus again quoting the Old Testament, which I, I think it's, it's vital for us to understand lots of things. One of those is how do we treat the Bible? We treat it like Jesus treated it. He's treating it as the authority. So verse 7 is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he, he, he bases marriage in creation. Join me there, verse 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What is, he, what is he saying here? Jesus is, quote, Jesus is quoting the word of God, giving us God's design that a, a man will leave his father and mother, leave that which is protective. All the protection, all the provision, all staying home and, and having all of the security that comes with He leaves that for seven and he clings to. There's, the, there's this absolute melding of the two. And verse 8 then backs it up. And those two then become one. It's an indissoluble. 
Can't be broken. One union. They are no longer two, but one. You know what you have right here? Verse 7 and 8, you have here, the, the, it's, the, it's the covenant of marriage. It's a picture of the, of the gospel. In fact, when the Apostle Paul goes to describe the relationship between Christ and the church, what he comes up with by the Holy Spirit is to say marriage is like that. Remember I did it in Ephesians chapter 5? I'm going to read it to you. Ephesians 5, verses 22 and following. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Nope. Husbands. Husbands. Husbands got it harder. Husbands, you love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did he do it? He gave himself up for her. Paul says, here's, here's a picture of the gospel or a picture of marriage. Jesus goes to the cross and takes the place. He dies there for the bride. He purchases the bride. And he says, husband, that, that's how you, that's how you love your wife. Do you understand when you, when you all through the Bible, when you see the picture, you'll hear it over and over again. When you see the picture of marriage, marriage is giving, it is given as the highest regard. It is a picture of how God loves. It is a picture of the gospel. That marriage is given at creation and it is displaying the gospel for the uninitiated. When I say displaying the gospel, it's, let me tell you what I mean. God loves. And in your sin and separation and death and rebellion against God, He loves you. And in Christ pursued you. Jesus, the perfect one. Jesus will live on this earth and He keeps all of God's law, all of the commandments. He honored His father and mother. He never committed murder. He never committed adultery. He never stole. He never coveted anything. Never took the Lord's name in vain. He was perfect, and he goes to the cross as the perfect man. At the cross, he is treated like the, the most imperfect human. He's treated like we are to be treated. In fact, that's what he does. He takes what we deserve. That's the gospel. He's a substitute for us. So all the judgment, all the condemnation, all the wrath, all the punishment of all the sins that have ever been co committed, your sins, adultery, all of that, divorce. Let's say you've been through a divorce, all of that. Jesus takes all of that at the cross and then gives over that perfect life as the exchange. If you believe Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, what you're believing is that he lived perfectly in your place and he died sacrificially in your place and God raised him from the dead and now he reigns as Lord over all and in him and him alone are you saved. And that calls for loyalty. Loyalty to Christ, loyal, loyalty to the gospel, loyalty to your mate. Look, be careful where your loyalties lie. I'm going to give you a fourth one. It's in verse 9. <clears throat> number 9, uh, number 4, verse 9. Be careful of your foundation, your foundation. What are you building on? 
Look at the strong language of permanence in verse 9. You see it in verse 9? <clears throat> what therefore, this is Jesus speaking, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We've heard that in marriages. Maybe you thought that was somebody from England made that up. That's Jesus. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Because I say it at every wedding. So when we have, have the wedding vows and I have the bride and the groom face me and I'll give them a little charge, your responsibility, your responsibility, then I'll say by the power vested in me by God and the state of North Carolina, pronounce you man and wife, kiss the bride, and when they kiss, everybody claps and stands up. And a lot of times people don't hear it, but I'll stand over, I'll present the, I'll present the bride and groom and say what God now has brought together, let no man put asunder. Why do we say that? Because God has done it and man must not undo it. Here's what I mean. When I say marriage, what, here's how I define marriage. Marriage is the God-ordained, indissoluble union of a man and a woman in a life of covenant relationship to display the gospel of grace. Your, your marriage is more than just about you. The gospel's at store. Marriage is a God-ordained, indissoluble union of a man and a woman whose life is a covenant relationship to, the, the reason, to display the gospel of grace. It's the foundation of a society. It is given to us for our good and God's glory. And to treat marriage flippantly is to treat God's word flippantly. Which leads me to my last point. Number five. All of you that have been through a divorce and maybe remarriage, you've been through a divorce, and you carry some of that weight. Now look, I want you to listen. Here's the time to dial in. Number five, be careful what you count as sacred. Sacred. Join me there in verses 10, 11, and 12. Let me read them to you and listen to what Jesus says. He is taught on divorce and marriage and remarriage. And so the disciples later that evening sometime, they're in the house together and they're discussing as they oftentimes do. Verse 10, in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Can we talk about that again? And as if to make it as clear as possible. Verse 11 and 12. This is what Jesus says. Whoever divorces his wife and then marries another commits adultery against her. Flips it over, which nobody did. This is for the Roman church. It's revolutionary that he would even say a woman could do this. Verse 12, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I mean, when it just sits there in front of us. You understand then, keep looking at it, don't look away, that divorce is a violation of God's intention for marriage. It, it, it always is, and it always involves some kind of sin. No such thing as a no-fault divorce. To show how serious it is, here's what Jesus does for the disciples. I want, he says, I want you to understand how serious this is. What he does is when he talks about divorce, 
he quotes the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. He quotes the Seventh Commandment. And Jesus says that divorce, whether it is the man or the woman, divorce is breaking the commandments. Now this is a depressing way to end a passage. Especially when I know there's in here there's so many people that I know and love and respect that have walked through divorce and you're feeling sort of beat up hearing this. Stay in there now. Stay in there. Jesus in this passage, he points to the perfect law of God. He points to the Mount Sinai where the law of God was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments. We know those Ten Commandments. And those of you that have been through a divorce, Jesus points and says, the commandment, you broke it. Don't look away, you broke the commandment. But don't forget context. We always preach context. What's the context? While he's teaching about one mountain where the law is broken, Jesus is on the road to another mountain, Mount Calvary. And there on Mount Calvary, on the cross, he will take all of the judgment, all of the shame, all of the stigma, all of the wrath, all of which you think or even didn't think you deserved. He will take it all at the cross. And once again, if you believe in him, if you're a Christian, this is what he's done. He's taken all of that nasty, that filth. He takes that. And once again, he will give you the sparkling white garment of a virgin bride washing you. Christianity is washing you, making you clean, and making you his. Sacred. You understand, at the heart of marriage is the gospel of Jesus where the gospel is, there is hope, there is restoration, there is forgiveness, there is a future, there is peace. The heart of marriage is the gospel. This morning as we go into a time of commitment and prayer, I'll invite you to join me with that. Join with your heads bowed just for a moment before we sing and continue to worship. I want you to pray with me. When we sing, you may want to come forward and pray. You may want to come forward and pray. You may want to come forward and pray because you've been through a terrible divorce that was your fault. You remarried and did it poorly. And yet you can look to the cross and there Christ takes the punishment. Would you repent of that and point and say, I give that over to the Lord. Be freed from that. Maybe you've been the victim of some, a divorce you didn't want. And you sit here and you hear that. You need the grace of God to restore you. You'd like somebody to pray with you. When we sing this morning, we'll invite you to come forward. Our pastors are here. Or, or you may want to wait till after church where our pastors will meet you in the lobby. If you'd like to talk with somebody, pray with someone, we want to help you embrace the healing of the gospel. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for your grace that is real. I pray that you would bring the healing power of the gospel joy of the gospel, the joy of knowing Christ, 
that today we can sing as those who, although we have broken the commandments, Christ kept them in our place. We thank you for it. We pray the, the healing power of Jesus would rest on brothers and sisters here. In Christ's name we pray.